The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 378. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what, Noah? Big show today. Coming up huge on show. Huge show, you might say. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Wouldn't it be great if you could have Google Docs for your terminal? I mean the collaborative part of Google Docs. Imagine starting up a terminal session and having a completely collaborative terminal environment with another user, and for them, all that they need is a web browser and HTML5 support. Coming up on today's Linux Action Show, we're going to show you how to take your terminal and have a collaborative editing, read-only or read-and-write Solve problems in the terminal with somebody else or help them solve problems. We're going to show you a really cool app from a super smart developer who's making collaborative terminals possible under Linux. And then, of course, in the news segment, we've got some big news about Ubuntu with some stats updating from the cloud. You're not going to believe the dominance there over at Amazon that Ubuntu has. And also, by the way, I have a little pie to eat, and it's called Humble, and I don't like the way it tastes. We're going to talk about the Munich situation coming up later on in today's episode, as well as some fantastic feedback and a major update on Mycroft. Have you heard about this? It promises to kill Cortana in its face. It's an open source artificial intelligence that supports voice commands, and not only does it have a dedicated hardware device, but if we act now, we may soon get the interface on the Linux desktop as well. And then we have a crazy great feedback segment with some follow-ups, some community emails, and... Some big news for the Linux Action Show, as well as some point in the show, we're going to go through the Linux Foundation's Linux Security Checklist. They have a list that they promise if you follow this, you're going to have a secure Linux rig. However, Noah and I have been deploying Linux machines in production for many uh, years, and we're going to go over the list and see if it actually holds up. But first, Noah, you know what we have? Picks? We have our picks. And uh, we're going to start with the Runs Linux this week, who was sent in by uh, Shannon B., he writes in, uh, or she writes in, saying, uh, I got a computer rebooting at Burger King this week when I was out getting myself a Whopper. And this was, uh, oh yeah, there you go, Shannon. He appears to be a gentleman up on uh, Google+. And if you look very carefully in the very back end, so uh, Noah, for those, of, for those of you who are just doing theater of the mind, like you are right now, Right. We have a burger, your typical Burger King experience where you're at the register. There are burgers. Yeah. There are fries. Yeah, they've got chicken fries now, Noah. People in hats. They should send us five bucks. Uh, and they have these big LCD screens up front with the menus on them. But if you just look a little bit further back in the kitchen where the actual business gets done, where the actual money gets made. Where you all can, the burgers get made. Now, I'm just going to do a little zoom and enhance, Noah. Can you provide the sound effects as I... Uh, Enhance. Thank you, sir. So if I, if I zoom and enhance right here, I can clearly see that they have a one CPU Linux rig in the kitchen, and it's booting up. And I, what I love is the Linux Action Show listener is at Burger King and just sitting there, like, ordering a Whopper and gets the snapshot Linux rebooting back in the kitchen. I have seen Linux on the plane. I have seen Linux all over the place, like at these big digital displays in malls. But at a Burger King, I have never, ever seen that before. And let's be fair. This guy is like on his game, right? Because I mean, like, picture this, okay? He's standing there. Do I want the? Do I, I want the? Do I want more fries, or right. do I want just the regular size? Or do you want to make that bigger? Do Noah, I want to shake? Noah, Noah, Noah. Some Oreos. This is Burger King. 
So yeah. you don't just have the fry dilemma, but you also have to decide if you want to get those delicious little onion rings and then get the tartar. Oh, yeah, ranch. yeah, yeah. Onion right, tanglers, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. Do I want the onion tanglers or do I don't? Oh, oh, Linux, <laughs> Linux, let me get my phone out from my pocket, turn on the camera mode, adjust, and then hit the button and then take the pic. <laughs> like, that's pretty good yeah. in, the, in the amount of time it takes to reboot that machine. But the reason that I think that stuff like this is so particularly cool is because we have gotten to a point where in Big projects like when when you go to the you know you go to like robotics and stuff yeah it runs Linux and I don't think sure, anyone sure, is surprised sure. by that sure, anymore. Sure. But when you start looking at like the fact that I can't leave my house and walk into a building and order a double cheeseburger and fries without interfacing with Linux in some way, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is I I think this makes me want to go to Burger King and see if I can just see this happening. Like I could see myself needing to buy a few burgers as a tax write off just to document yeah. if Linux is there. Right? That's legit. Right? Could you restart that computer in the back there for me? That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask but, you something. Does your Burger King have on the door, does it say, most? Uh, you can have it your way and push, but most of our customers find it easier to pull this door open? <laughs> uh, ours no, has that. And I no. always thought that was funny. Really? Are yeah, you kidding? Yeah, that's great. No, I'm dead serious. We can go there if you want. That sounded like yeah, a mean, GitHub joke. King, so. That sounded like a GitHub joke. You know oh, what? Really? You know what? I'm going to go there, and I'm going to take a picture of it. How? Okay, be okay. real with me, Noah. How far is it? Like, if I... So... For those of you who don't actually like follow the Twitter feeds and follow the subreddit and follow the live show and follow the IRC, you may or may not know that I have recently become um, the owner of an RV trailer. Uh, some very uh, unfortunate cir circumstances for another couple led to a very fortunate circumstance for Jupiter Broadcasting. And now the last Cribs tour where I go out to Noah's house and document his automated house for the Linux Action Show is going to happen. And when I get out there, Noah is already making a list of places to take me. And Noah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, here's, here's basically where I fall down. If, I could, if it's a 20-minute drive to go to this Burger King so I can take a picture for this show, uh -huh. I will do it. But if it's more of an hour, I'm not willing to go to Burger King. So where does so it fall? So I've got good news for you, uh, Chris. The entire city is five miles wide. So <laughs> everything is within about eight minutes from one end of the city to the other end of the entire city, which, by the way, there is no more city for another 72 some miles. Yes. So, yes, everything is within 20 minutes. You know, I can't. No, I don't know why. For some reason, that that sounds very quaint. Like, I don't know. You, yeah. you, you've been out here to Washington. Like. It's much more populated than that. Yeah, and it's funny too because like when I go to, to bigger cities and I will say I, I like I wanted to buy a GPS and I was in Minneapolis St. Paul and I they didn't have the GPS at Best Buy and I'm like well I guess that's the end of it because they don't have it at Best Buy so we're done and my buddy looks at me and he's like well that's that Best Buy there's like seven more I'm like really and he's like yeah yeah we just go up to the next city and I'm like oh yeah that would be like a two hour drive for me if it, if, if it was in Grand Forks yeah. Yeah, uh, so here in Washington, not so much the case. Like, I, I, I remember, like, uh, when uh, World of Warcraft came out, and I, I still played World of Warcraft. I mean, literally, the day it came out. I'm not talking, like, years later. I'm, like, talking day it came out, World of Warcraft. A buddy and I were so determined to go find it somewhere in Washington State that we drove the whole I-5 corridor to find it. And, and, and our buddy Brian Lunduke was on the cell phone telling us where to go, where he had gone. He did the south end, we did the north end. And uh, it's funny because really, Noah, what you described to me doesn't sound like a city at all. That sounds like yeah. a that sounds like a town. So we call it the village. The vi so, it sounds no, like a village. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. It, it, we have like seventy thousand people, so it, it it is a city. It's just <laughs> it's a very small city. Okay. Uh, you know what? It's Arlington. It's very similar yeah. to Arlington. It, it really does sound is. like it. It's just there's nothing outside of Arlington. That's all. That's yeah. the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Whereas here we have, you know, that small city called Seattle, and just north of us we yeah. have Canada. So <laughs> there's yeah. some yeah. Canada. Hey, we have Canada. It's like 90 miles away. We have Canada. <laughs> Actually, I've heard that part of the challenges of the US2 road trip that I'm going to be taking is that the, the cell phone connects to the Canadian towers along the way at certain points. You know what else connects to Canadians? Uh, their lack of turn signals. And and when they do have turn signals, like they, they do this thing where they'll, they'll put their turn signal on and then they just drive straight for like 50 <laughs> miles. And it's like a guessing game. Like, yeah. do we turn? Yeah. And then, then there's other Canadians that they actually, some Canadian cars don't come with turn signals. It's an optional package. And so then they don't use their turn signals and that can be really frustrating. Yeah, well, up in Canada, you, you signal a good 20 miles before you turn because it's 20 miles. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's why. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, so is, and, is there a reason that they don't have optional accelerator packages either? Well, uh, listen, mate, uh, What's the rush, eh? What's the, what's the rush, eh? Yeah. Listen, and I can right. say this is having a lot of can of lot of Canadian family up in Edmonton and Alberta, and I have visited them. And I, it, one of the nicest things is you feel like you feel like when you go to Canada and you go up far north, it feels like going to the United States uh, 10, 15 years ago. So uh, imagine the United States 10 or 15 years, so pre 9/11, pre like uh, super crazy, like uh, concerned about crime and things like that, and then. And everybody's just relaxed. And you go up there. It's, it's a really great experience. In fact, uh, maybe I'll take the rig up there one day, Noah, and do a show from up there. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, those Canadians, they're really concerned about crime. They're so concerned they give pipe bombs back to their uh, passengers on the, on the plane. When, All right. uh, this know. is not Linux-related. I'm just going to make it super quick just to prove a point. I have an aunt. I love her. And she's great. And her name is Erin. And it's uh, spelled with an E, which is weird. Canadian, right? <clears throat> So we spent 15 minutes one morning looking for Aunt Erin's purse. We pulled up. Now, no, I want you to picture this. We're in her truck. We're in her Ford F-150 because they drive all American vehicles up there. And okay. uh, we pull up to her apartment, and she goes to grab her purse out of her truck, which we, uh, we, we showed up at her house in the morning. We got in the truck. We went out to breakfast, and then we came back to her apartment. And she goes to grab her purse out of the truck, and she can't find her purse. And she realizes that she left her purse in her unlocked truck overnight. And my, right. first, my first reaction is, well, Aunt Erin, someone stole your purse. Someone simply walked up to your door, they opened up the door, they reached in, and they grabbed your purse, and they walked away, Aunt Erin. Nah. I don't know why you're bothering to even bother to look. And then she gets out of the truck and doesn't even listen to me. She gives me this look like, that's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my entire life. She gets out of the truck, she walks into her house, her, or I'm sorry, her apartment, which is completely unlocked. And she goes yeah. and searches her entire apartment for 15 minutes. And meanwhile, I'm like, I don't even know why you're bothering. Somebody just grabbed it out of your truck. They just looked in your truck window. They saw the purse on the bench seat, and they opened the door, and they grabbed it. I don't know why you're looking. She comes out 15 minutes later with her purse, her keys, everything. She doesn't lock her door. She doesn't lock her truck. None of them yeah. do. Some of them yeah. just leave the keys in the ignition up there. They don't care. Yeah. The, 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 it's this, that sounds like Grand Forks. Really? It does. Uh, yeah, it sounds a lot. In fact, my a buddy that uh, one of my good friends. In fact, he was just downtown yesterday. He all of his cars, and he's got he's he works at a car dealership, so he's got like nine. All of them are parked in his front yard, and they all have the keys in the ignition. So if you ever want to take one, they're all unlocked, and the keys are all in the ignition. Yeah, <laughs> it's very quaint. I can't yeah. wait to get there, and then and then uh, my my goal is regardless of what happens on the road trip, if it's a disaster, I'm going to try to make content out of it, and if I can mm -hmm. find any Linux along the way. I'm going to make a video out of it. I promise you that. Okay. I don't care how awkward it is. I don't care if I have to ask like the manager of a store some some sort of horrible questions that makes him think I'm some sort of uh, elite cyber hacker. 
I'm going yeah. to ask him the questions, and I'll, I'll make videos out of it. One way or another, we will have content for this show. My God, that's my commitment. My God is yeah. my witness. That's my commitment. You know what Maybe else? Maybe what I should do is I should have sent you Google Glass. You could use that. You know what, Noah? No, thank you. I could just, okay. somehow I can hold up my cell phone and manage to get the same thing. Funny you could, how that but works. it's not nearly as much fun. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper. All right. That's so <clears throat> before we get into our picks, which totally kick ass this week, I want to tell you about our great sponsor. You guys know about him. You guys love him. Of course, it's DigitalOcean. Uh, what I love about DigitalOcean is uh, people way, way, way smarter than me, way better connected than me, realize that Linux and KVM is all you really need to have the base foundation for an incredible service. But then you've got to close that gap. You've got to close that uncanny valley. We talk about it all the time when it comes to user interfaces here on LAS. You've got to make it awesome. You've got to make it real, and you've got to make it actually something worth people's money. DigitalOcean connected all those dots. So starting off, they did Linux and KVM. That makes a lot of sense. Then they did something else that when, when DigitalOcean launched as a company was pretty bold. Now, in retrospect, in 2015, it's obvious. It makes sense. But when DigitalOcean started... It was crazy. They invested from day one on an SSD-only infrastructure. Every single frickin' server has SSDs. This is a big deal because they bought into this way before anybody else did. And now, now they are pushing the needle. Like when, so for example, they just deployed a new Germany data center not too long ago. And they're, it's like boss level when they do this. So uh, first of all, regionally, it's connected to the just like the best case scenario for distributing content in that general, you know, EU area. That's kind of a big area. And they just nailed it in terms of location. But, uh, for example, like, uh, they got their fastest, fastest SSDs yet in their KVM Linux rigs. Their, their connections to each individual KVM rig, 40 gigabits. 40 gigabit to each individual hypervisor, Okay. This is nuts. So if you're like, if you're in the United States, you're in Cana you're in Canada. I don't care where you're at. You want to you want to do some offsite backups. This is a great location. They have a bunch of data centers you can choose from. In fact, they got data center locations in New York. They got them in San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London, and of course that new one in Germany. So you can do some geo diversity if you want, or you could put them closer to your location if you just care about transfer speed. So uh, for the ones like my own cloud box that I really, really, really care about transfer speed, I go to California. And for the ones where I want some offsite backup, I go to New York. So for my son's Minecraft server, it's in California. And for my backups, it's in New York. Because I, 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 just that having that diverse geolocation, I feel a little bit safer. Uh, but really, it's not, that's not what draws me to DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean has managed to take something that as a system administrator I struggled with. Um, and in a lot of cases, I had to use VMware. And I had to use VMware's proprietary application that required Windows to manage a Linux box, or I had to use something that worked like ass in Internet Explorer, right? Or I had to use something that required Java just so I could spin up a virtual machine. Like, and I, here I am, like, I'm installing Fedora, and I'm like, oh, look at libvirt, and look at boxes. I can do this in 10 seconds. This is awesome. Why doesn't somebody take this and put it on the web? Well, DigitalOcean did that. Right? And not only do they have an incredible HTML5-based interface, I mean, even the console to your rig is HTML5. They've replicated the functionality of their interface with their API. And so there's a ton of great apps to take advantage of this. And not only that, but you can try out their $5 rig, which will give you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. You can try it out for two months 
for totally free if you use the promo code LAS Digital. L A S Digital, one word, lowercase. That gets you a $10 credit. You can apply it anytime. Now, if you want to be a baller baller, they have like really straightforward pricing. You can go up to the next rig. The next rig at $10 a month it gets you like a step up on everything. And then you got $20 a month, it gives you a step up on everything. And then $40 and $80. It's very straightforward. DigitalOcean, they're very proud of their pricing structure because they're very, very, very value oriented. And this is the advantage of using open source technology, of, of taking something like Linux, taking something like KVM, and then just wrapping it in a really consumer presentable interface. And it's not one that's watered down for us experts where we get really annoyed. Oh, man, if only I could deploy this application. If only I could take this snapshot. But their stupid, easy interface doesn't make it possible. That's not what DigitalOcean's about. They've managed to take all of that really advanced functionality and give you a really great interface to do it. Like I said, they also have the API. So use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and try it out. Go deploy a rig. Go deploy OwnCloud, BitTorrent Sync, Sync Thing, Minecraft, Mumble. How many open source... How many open source projects and products do you know about? You could just go deploy right now just to try for a couple of months absolutely free, and you would be supporting the show. Just or use give the them away to other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and actually, to that point, like if you actually built something that somebody else finds useful, DigitalOcean has a very straightforward transfer process to transfer the droplets to somebody else. So you can just kind of like hand off responsibility once it's built for them, and then they can just pay the monthly bill, or really at $5 a month, you could probably charge them like $15 and just pocket the difference. I'm just saying, DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, and a big thanks DigitalOcean for sponsoring the next action show. Noah and I, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know, I, there's really no other way to say this, Noah and I could not do this show without DigitalOcean, period. I, I, I am so thankful that something like this has come along, and I'm really, 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 really grateful that I happen to be doing a podcast that could just have them as a sponsor. Like, that's, that's more than I could have ever, ever hoped for when I started this show. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, and a big thank you, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring Linux Action Show. All right, Mr. Noah, are you ready for our desktop picks this week? Because we got some good ones. In fact, you picked our first one. It's one of my favorite social media clients. And it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, see, I was, I've been looking for a good Twitter client. And do you know how to pronounce it? Mm, Chicock? I'm going to say Chicock. <laughs> I'm going to say, okay. I'm going to go with Chicago. So, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. So, I've been looking for a good Twitter client for Linux. I, I thought you were going to look at it and be like, oh, that's new and exciting. And no, you've used it, of course. But uh, I had not heard of it before. I had not heard of Chicago before. And, and I've used a couple other ones, but I really like this, even though it is made for KDE and I'm not a huge KDE fan, really. Uh, I've been using this all week. And I got to tell you, this I think is my new Twitter client of choice. Yeah. They, actually, they don't call it a, a Twitter client, they call it a a microblogging client. Yeah, I mean, you know, it supports uh, pump.io, uh, which you probably know as Adenica. Uh, it supports opendesktop.org services, which is kind of cool because some of our favorite developers contribute there. In reality, though, it's, it's the Twitter support. If you want a good, native, Linux, Qt-based Twitter client, this is the best one. If you want, I mean, Corebird is the best GTK client, in my opinion, and, and Chinook or Chinook or, or Cock, whatever Chicago. you want Chacock, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's the best Qt-based client, and it's really, really good. And just like Capete, just like how Capete offers certain levels of integration that no other instant messaging client offer, same with Chacock. It offers a level of, or Chacock, whatever you want to call it. It offers a level of integration <laughs> with the uh, Plasma desktop that is obviously not even touched by Coreboard or many of the other uh, native 
quote-unquote microblogging clients. Uh, so currently, Twitter.com, Pump.io, and OpenDesk.org are supported. And Noah, you might have known this, but I don't know if the audience knows this. The name, uh, as much fun as we're having, comes from the ancient, the ancient Persian word, which means sparrow, which yeah. kind of fits with Twitter. The thing that I think really stood out to me that I really liked was the interface really reminds me of what I liked back in the back in the late 90s of instant messenger clients. A small little program that kind of runs at the side that I don't really notice, but yet I can kind of keep my eye on data that is scrolling through. It's not intrusive. It's not in the way. I don't necessarily get, I don't want yeah. pop-up notifications every time somebody tweets, but I like to be able to glance over and look at it. And I've had this running on my desktop for the last four or five days now. And uh, I really like it. I actually have I actually resized and kind of restructured my uh, Telegram client to kind of mimic this because I actually like the way this presents information. Yeah, and it's an it's an always live feed. And if you're on the if you're on a GTK desktop, I absolutely recommend you check out Corebird. It is a similar to this, uh, a little bit more streamlined and a little more GTK three. So if you're on Unity, it looks a little better. If you're on GNOME or Mate. Corebird looks a little bit better, but you got to go get a fresh package because it's very, very new. Chinook, on the other hand, if you're on the K desktop, anything like that, or Razor even, it is a solid product and one of my absolute favorite social clients. So I'm really, really, really glad that we got a chance to mention it in today's episode of the Linux Action Show. Now, Noah, I have a weekly spotlight that I want to present to you because it answers maybe one of the number one questions if you took all of the questions that have come into this show and TechSnap over the last four years, and you aggregated like a common topic, one of them is centralized logins. You know, you got three mm -hmm. or four machines, or you have an enterprise with thousands of machines or hundreds of machines, right. and you want to have one centralized freaking login. And I'm going to be honest with you, Noah. As somebody who has worked in client services and as a sysadmin for Windows servers, mm -hmm. the You're one, jealous of Active Directory. Well, I'm not jealous, but like just like... Going in there, joining a yeah. domain, and all of a sudden, yeah. you click a few buttons and you reboot the computer. Mm -hmm. All of its authentication, all of its directory lookups, all of its all DNS. The profile redirection all so that all the wallpapers and files and all that crap sinks down. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the one nice thing that Windows on a network has is that... When it works. Yes, right. So I want to introduce you to Free IPA, which has gone through a lot of different iterations. And I have used earlier versions of this, but Free IPA is sort of the latest. It's an integrated security information management solution. And right now, you can get on a lot of different things. It combines Fedora's uh, 389 directory, 389, by the way, LDAP port, the MIT Kerberos authentication key service, NTP, DNS, and dog tag certificates, uh, which are all essentially what make up all the different components of Active Directory. So this is built on top of a well-known open source components. You got standards, everything's documented, full multi-users, Strong focus on ease of management, extensible management interfaces. You can manage it through the CLI, through a web UI, um, through a remote RPC, no through JSON APIs. And it is a full-fledged Active Directory-like solution for Linux. All right. Now, excuse my ignorance here. Uh, so I, I'm looking at their website here. So let, let's say I install this. And uh, and then I, and I can, maybe I can make some configuration changes on their, on, through the web UI. How do I... 
tell the client to now look at this server for its authentication details? They have uh, they have a lot of documentation, so you're not going to have okay. any trouble figuring that out. But it is really just a simple matter of uh, little NSS switch changes, some PAM config changes, and you're good to go. It's not okay. a big deal. It is okay. It is not massive. It's not a huge like uh, change out all of your back end of your Linux box. They have different guides. They've, I also did some Googling around. I found some really easy quick start guides for different distributions. Essentially, you just have to have all your rigs on the same time, all your rigs using the same um, DNS, and everything able to contact an LDAP server. And if you can do all of that, you have all of the, the necessary pieces to have centralized user accounts for all of your computers on your LAN. If you want to be able to log into Man. one computer, or I'm sorry, if you want to be able to log in with one account to all of your computers, this will do it. It's called Free IPA, and you can find it at freeipa.org. It is heavily, heavily backed by the Red Hat project. I believe it is a continuation of the Fedora directory project, and um, it answers an email that we, to TechSnap, we must get three or four a week asking how to do centralized login for Linux and Unix rigs, and this will do it, freeipa.org. In the amount of time it took you to explain that, I have clicked on their documentation and figured out how to install it and how to add users. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, 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 this is really straightforward, and actually, this is something that I have, I have done with a Hack Together LDAP solution for a while, um, this is definitely something I'm going to have to look into, uh, you know, a little deeper. I, I'm inter- I, I'll have to look in to see exactly how they're getting the the clients uh, configured. That's the one part I, I can't seem to find. But uh, yeah, as far as setting you know it up what, and it, man, it looks straightforward. That's where it's going to be a little different. But uh, I actually saw guides for uh, LTS, Ubuntu's, and Fedora, and you can take it from there. And I bet you could apply it to just almost any distribution. It should be pretty. And it looks like it, it looks like it's in the CentOS repos. Powsies, I love it. All right, no, well, that's all our picks. You know what that means. Let's do the news. the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com right now. Head over to last.ting.com. Let us know you heard about it here on this show. But really what it is is it gives you the opportunity to get mobile that makes sense. No contracts and no early termination fee. Last.ting.com. L-A-S.ting.com will take $25 off a device or... $25 off of your first month of service or more if you have a Ting-compatible device. And you might, because Ting has CDMA and GSM networks, so that means they have a whole lot of compatibility. And they have a whole bunch of great unlocked devices ready to go. I would recommend you go check them out, because Ting has no hold customer service. If you have any questions, any details you need to work out, give them a call, and it's only pay for what you use, $6 a month for the line. Now... Jupiter Broadcasting, I think, currently has paying for like three lines or four lines, I think. $6 a month is very economical, so it makes it very, very easy for a family or a small business to have some great connectivity. And they have some really good phones that come completely unlocked. The Sharp Aquios Crystal. This is like the number one Android phone that I have yet to actually own. I don't know if you feel this way, Noah, but like for me, this is the phone I out of all of them that we talk about on the air, yeah. I would really like to try. Just as a toy, just as like a side, I want to play with it. Even if I don't, even if I don't think it's going to be like a game changer. Yeah, we, we just keep getting feedback about what a great screen this thing has. Uh, but Ting also, all their phones are unlocked. They have the Motorola Moto X2 second gen. They have the Nexus 6, and then they also have a bunch of great value phones. Check out the uh, Kirosero Duro X2, forty-seven dollars. Oh, now, Noah, you actually have this phone, don't you? 
I, I I bought so I bought the phone because I got a good deal on it on eBay. And by the way, if you if you don't want to go to last.ting.com and you want and you want to learn how great Ting is, go to other cell phone stores and find out how what a horrible experience that is. Yeah, there you and go. then you'll then you'll figure out what's great about Ting. But <laughs> I ordered I, because Ting doesn't really care where you buy your phones. They 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 don't care. In fact, they give you a list of place of of phones that you can buy other places and bring to them. I found the 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 Dura on eBay. I think it was like eighteen bucks shipped. So I was like, $18 for a phone seems like a good extra phone to have around, just kind of as a backup phone, that kind of a thing. And so it came and I activated it, took me, in fact, I activated it, I was on my way out to lunch, and I was like, oh, I'll activate it real quick. And I, from the time that I opened the box when it came in the mail till the time I walked out of my house with an activated phone was like 17 seconds. You and I went into Love the cell it. phone store. I could not get that woman to work any slower if I paid her. Uh, and so I, I get this activated phone and I take it out to lunch. I use it for a couple of days. Then I leave for Seattle leave it at home accidentally because I forgot it because I'm a goof and I get to Seattle we do the whole week of stuff I meanwhile it's receiving text messages and phone calls and all this other stuff I get home I pick it up still full full bars of battery I set it back down now we're a week later yet wait and hold, it's on, still hold on hold on hold on you're telling me you went a whole week with that thing receiving calls and getting text messages no, and they no. didn't dent the battery no that's not what I'm telling you I'm telling you I went two weeks with receiving phone calls and batteries and text messages and it didn't dent the battery. That's what I'm telling you. Two weeks. It's today and I still, the little ticks on the battery thing haven't, haven't dropped down. That's how freaking, that's how freaking long that battery is. And I guess, I guess, Chris, when you make a phone that is, you know, uh, you know, twice the size of Jupiter and, and you pack that whole thing with a gigantic battery and all it has to do is power a little, you know, half inch to one inch screen. Turns I suppose out. you can get two, three weeks out of battery life yeah. out of it. That's an amazing, an amazing thing to have. I just have a phone that's in my truck now that I just know I always have a phone. Yeah. And of course you're only paying $6 a month for the line. It's just your usage mm -hmm. on top of that. There's no contract, no early termination fee. Go to last.ting.com. Also, so so if you want to buy it from Ting directly and not bother with eBay, it's $47. Unlocked, no contract. Also, you might like one step up. You're not going to get like the the crazy 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 battery life that Noah is seeing. The Moto E though, second gen. This is a solid Moto-built device, back when Google still owned Motorola, for $122, unlocked, no contract, only pay for what you use, last.ting.com. They got a whole range of devices, from Noah's Kyocera all the way up to like the latest and greatest devices like my S6, last.ting.com, no contract, only pay for what you use, $6 for the line, incredible dashboard, no customer service. They have GSM and CDMA networks. Go check them out, last.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. All right, Noah. I want to move on to something that is maybe a little obvious to a lot of our audience, but when you look at the actual numbers, it's freaking amazing. Uh, Ubuntu. Ubuntu, without any question now, is the dominating cloud platform. Bigger than Windows. Bigger than Red Hat. It's unbelievable. Uh, by, the, by the stats alone, Ubuntu has approximately 135,000 instances in second place, and I mean a very, 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 very distant second place, is Amazon's version of Linux. Amazon has its own version of Linux for EC2. That comes in number two. And then, in an incredible fourth place, not a third place, fourth place, Windows. 
And then in fifth place, CentOS and Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Ubuntu has a dominating, dominating EC2 installation. Now, this matters because all you really need is an EC2 foot, uh, footprint to completely dominate the cloud market. Because Gardner has done some research, and they have determined that Amazon's quote-unquote cloud is 10 times bigger than the next 14 competitors combined, right? EC2 is larger than the next 14 country uh, companies combined. That's like, that's like the U.S. military statistic. So the fact that Ubuntu dominates EC2 by, by just that virtue means that Ubuntu dominates the cloud. What do you think, Noah? I uh, I think that that I think that's an accurate description and and frankly I and I asked Red Hat when we were there why there isn't more of an emphasis why why they well actually why they thought they weren't putting more of an emphasis but why they thought that other companies weren't putting more of an emphasis on the things like the VPS space and cloud space as well. Hmm. And you know uh, I actually think North Ranger raises a really good question. Uh, so maybe Ubuntu is dominant. How much money? Are they making? <laughs> I think I think a decent amount. Yeah, probably. I don't think it. I don't think it necessarily. Obviously, I don't think it necessarily comes from that cloud space. But I think that the uh, the the association things that come with it. I think that if you start to de you start to deploy that at scale, or if you start trying things out in the VPS space or the cloud space, and then you move that into to actual production, I think you're willing to pay for for stuff. Yes. Yes. And I think they're making money there. But it is like uh, uh, with with everything being service based, with uh, everything, all the emphasis being in the cloud, with you know everything you use on your phone needing a back end service, everything you use on your desktop needs a back end service, every single freaking website you you use, it needs a back end service. And yet, if you uh, so if you accept that, then you could also make the argument that the operating system that runs those back end services is potentially a very critical operating system, right? Like. Mm -hmm. You could argue that Netflix and a lot of very large company infrastructures are now running off of EC2. And yet, Canonical is making some money, but they're not, they're not, they're not like Apple rich, right? Like when, you know, like Apple makes the iPhone and people buy f smartphones and now they're the, like, the, now they're like crazy rich. Uh, Ubuntu makes a cloud operating system and everybody uses the cloud operating system and they're getting by. Like it's mm -hmm. it's it's a completely different market. Like buying service, uh, selling services, and getting people to agree that they should come to you and buy a contract from you to support them is a completely, totally different market that doesn't mm -hmm. scale at the same that some of the consumer stuff does. And so it's funny because you would think that the, that the company that's behind the operating system that is the most popular operating system on the most popular backend infrastructure, the most important backend infrastructure of our time. And yet, it kind of feels like they're just getting by. How do you reconcile that? Red Hat feels like they're making more money even though they have less deployments in the quote-unquote cloud. I wonder if that doesn't come, like you said, with auxiliary stuff. So and I say that because I just got done last year. I spent the probably the last four or five months of the year working for a university system in where we deployed a ton, and I mean a ton, of CentOS, uh, uh, CentOS installations. And in fact, originally, they started out on Sandbox hardware at the university. We actually ended up moving them over to DigitalOcean to do a lot of the testing. Hmm. And then when we got done, they all bought Red Hat licenses and moved them all over to RHEL and big $24,000, $30,000 servers. Uh, and, and of course, when they did that, then, then came a ton of Red Hat licenses. And that would not have happened 
had we not tested all of that software and 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 accomplished the things they wanted to accomplish inside of CentOS and, and in places like DigitalOcean. Right, we could have used Amazon EC2. I just happen to like DigitalOcean a little bit more. Um, but the uh, we wouldn't they wouldn't have had those licensing fees. Red Hat wouldn't have made that money, and they made a ton of money had we not tested it on CentOS to begin with. So I think there is some value to bringing people in by saying, here's, here's something, you know, that, that is, that is more cost effective, use it for a little bit. And then, and then, yeah, pay us when you decide it's appropriate. If we can offer something above and beyond what you can get for free. I, it seems more honest and I like that. All right. So, uh, I want to move on. That's uh, all we have for that story. I want to cover something that we talked about last week that got a lot of follow-up, and that was our coverage of Limux and its issues in Munich. So those of you who have been listening to the show for a while are very, very intimately familiar with the switch that Munich has been going under to Linux. We've covered it from day one in the show, and uh, last week we covered some aspects of it that aren't going very well. Uh, and so I want to talk about it a little bit here today on episode 380 and also cover some of the follow-up, but also a little more information on this particular story. So uh, most people in Munich don't realize that they even run Linux and don't really care. This is according to a developer on the IT team at the city of Munich. And so let's keep that in mind as we move forward here. And this was, he stated at a DebConf, I have the entire video and the presentation linked in the show notes if you would like to watch it. The audio sucks. Otherwise, I would pull clips for this show. Um, even when some people are complaining about Linux, we are looking at their PCs, and there was actually Windows XP running on it. So some of the complaints about Limux were actually from users that were still running Windows XP. So I, I, I want to make something a little more clear, and it's going to make more sense if you heard episode 379's coverage, but uh, Limux is the city of Munich's custom Ubuntu distribution that they have applied many, many patches to. As an abstraction, just to make a point, take LibreOffice, one of the many packages included with Limux, has 300 patches applied to it by the city of Munich's IT department alone. So they're not shipping Ubuntu, right? They are shipping their own custom version of Ubuntu based on KDE 4.1 and a lot of their own patches. And sometimes some users complain. But normal people, they say, don't really care. They don't care if they're using Windows or a Linux-based OS. They just want to do their stuff. Um, so rather than unhappy users, apparently the biggest challenges faced by the IT, IT team in Munich is keeping the Ubuntu-based OS compatible with new hardware. They say that hardware support is a major problem. And the council has a number of PCs, and as they, as more PCs that run Limux has grown, which currently stands around 18,000 machines, they've had to apply custom patches. Now, to keep this in perspective, Limux is based off of Ubuntu LTS 12.04, I believe. And the hardware stack in Ubuntu 12.04 is just simply getting old. Because, as I have said, a lot of times... Old distros don't have new hardware support, so they have to patch these. It means you have to backport the kernel. They have to have backported DRM, that's direct um, memory management, not DRM as we know it, a backported Mesa, and XOR drivers. And they have to constantly, the, Lime, the Limux guys have to constantly work on these backports. And here's another problem they're running into with, with their Limux deployments. Testing is made way more tricky by the fact that there are 22 different IT organizations within the city of Munich managing 50 different sites, 
sites across the city, ordering their own hardware, ordering their own peripherals, none of them necessarily guaranteed to work with Linux. And it's just normal. And so they, uh, they, they might buy, go buy a new laptop and have no idea if it works with Ubuntu 12.04 at all. So the city's other ambition is to reduce the time it takes to release new versions of Linux because version 5.0 has been out for a while. And oh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. I've, I've, actually, I've actually been given some bad information here. So the, uh, I'm, I'll correct myself in a second. But Linux 5.0 is, is, is already developed and ready for release today. It's done. It's done, but most of the users, and we're getting an email into the show that confirms this, most of the users are not running on Linux 5.0. They're running on a much older version of Linux that constantly requires patches. And here's the really tragic thing. I've been telling you this entire time that it's based on Ubuntu 12.04, which to me felt extremely, extremely, extremely old. I actually made a mistake, and I just realized it. It's their newest version, their latest version, that is based on Ubuntu 12.04. I wish I could sit here and say this is an amazing experience and this has been great for all of these users, but I just don't believe this. Um, and they say they really, really are hoping to cut down on the development cycle. They want to cut it down a lot. Uh, they say they hope they get faster with the next releases. The next major upgrade of, of Limux is going to be version 6.0. It's going to be based on Ubuntu 1804 LTS, KDE 5 Plasma, and SystemD. Well, 1804, I got to tell you, is a long ways away. And today, Noah, they're trying to deploy system-based systems. So, so the majority of their users do not even have the latest version. And new systems they are deploying today are using Linux 5.0, which is based on Ubuntu 12.04. And so what users are getting is extremely, extremely old versions of LibreOffice, like LibreOffice 4.1.2, which has 300 custom Linux patches applied to it. They're getting custom versions of all these different applications, and they are stuck basically five years in the past. It feels like they're stuck in ancient times. And as somebody who constantly is deploying new Linux systems for users, how can you, how can you, how can you rationalize this, Noah? So uh, let's, let's step through this a little bit. So first of all, um, I have some sympathy from the concept of if you're only using free and open source software, if you're only using software that's designed to be used on Linux, then I can understand the rationale between uh, between using rolling releases or using the latest available software because everyone's maintaining it. The problem is we live in the real world, and the reality is that a lot of software, even if it's designed for Linux, isn't necessarily as up-to-date as the latest distros, and that causes problems. And then if you venture away from that and you go to large companies like IBM that maybe make a Linux-based software, but they only do it for the LTS, and maybe, if you're lucky, they do it for every other LTS. You look at Blackmagic, where they make the drivers for 1004, and they, they still advertise today on Amazon that that driver works on Linux. Yeah, Linux of, you know, back in 1004, yeah, it worked great. I can understand the rationale of people uh, if if you're using only Linux software to use rolling, and I can understand the rationale of people with boat I'm in, which is we stay with with the with the stable, with the known, with the with the more Windows-like version-centric versions of Linux to facilitate the third-party applications and software vendors. I can understand that, but where they lose me is. At the point where you're going to start paying developers to maintaining your, essentially, like you said, their own Linux distribution, because now we have departed from what Canonical is doing, 
you have essentially decided that you are going to single-handedly take on and double up the work that Canonical's are already doing, thereby thank you, uh, b- thereby destroying any of the value you would have gained by using thank a free and, uh, free and Libra operating system to begin with. And then you add to that, why are we using KDE? And, and I don't say that because KDE is a bad no, desktop, and I no. don't say that because I don't think they, that, that it's not a good business desktop, but if you are going to be using Ubuntu, why would you not use the default desktop environment that canonical you know outright outright would 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 uh, i don't know i guess say that they would out of the box support make that make that's one more change that you have made and one more thing that you have to support and especially if you're coming from an all windows environment where you have a bunch of technical people that are trained in windows now and not only are you going to be supporting the operating system itself now you're going to be supporting essentially a blessed fork or a blessed uh, respin or how, whatever we classify exactly. them these days of of the desktop environment nothing about this makes Makes any sense, and it is so far beyond the way that I would set up, uh, you know, a, a, a Linux box for a client. It's it's unbelievable. We have tremendous success setting up Linux boxes with stock Ubuntu. We make the absolute minimal changes. In fact, we actually published our PDF of how we go through and change those boxes when, when we roll them out to clients, and I don't get a, 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 a ton of complaints. Every once in a while, we have somebody that wants actual Microsoft Office or wants some uh, you know uh, you know esoteric software that, that ran on Windows, and we have to find a way to cope with that. But for the most part, the basics, the operating system boots up, the, 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 the Office suite works, and the web browsers work. They're applying patches to LibreOffice? I got news for you. LibreOffice is applying patches to LibreOffice. You don't need to be patching it. Let them worry about maintaining the Office suite. Let Canonical worry about maintaining the operating system. And if you have some extra money that you'd like to contribute to developers, have them work with the LibreOffice team or with Canonical to improve the operating system or the software. And I, 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 I completely agree. Uh, looks familiar in our chat room has made some great points. He says, hey, guys, you have, you have some funny expectations here. He says... Uh, this is just how fast government moves and departments don't like change. And I think what Noah and I are trying to illustrate is this is a Linux deployment done in the 90s methodology. And the problem here is I totally grok what's happened to the Limux folks. They went with KDE 4 because it feels more like a Windows desktop. They went with custom patches because it adds the functionality for their templates and things that they expect from Microsoft Office. All very rational, all very smart all, um, in some ways, great contributions back upstream, and we totally appreciate that. Uh, However, what we have the benefit of is Limux started as an internal project in 2001. That's more than 10 years ago. And the idea was, when they started internally, was to create their own distribution for their particular environment that was customized to meet the needs of their users. And on the surface, man, That sounds super smart, and that sounds like taking advantage of what Linux allows you to do. But what in reality, and this is just my opinion, in reality, it is the ego stroking of an internal IT department where they believe they can create their own operating environment. They can give you something better than any of the other manufacturers out there have yet given you because they know what your needs are, they know what the business drivers are, and they know what the technical requirements are. So they can customize the Linux distribution to match just your needs that will not anybody else on the market could ever do. And so therefore, it's an obvious decision. And I believe that simple logic is what be- was what started the development of Limux because if you asked me 10 years ago to deploy a Linux distribution to an entire school district, 
or to an entire city, I probably would have rolled my own distribution. But in 2014, in 2013, and in 2015, you have to be as upstream as possible because the platform manufacturers are riding that innovation wave as close as they possibly can. As, po- as close as, like, as soon as they can implement a new feature and as and, and, and soon as they can get that feature working, they're going to roll it into their distro. As soon as they can be feature compatible with the Mac OS desktop or the Windows desktop, they're going to do it because their motivation is to get as many users and to make that process as smooth as possible. At an entire organizational level, that is their entire objective. And you, your objective is, is very narrow. You know, just like if I was deploying it for a high school or you're deploying it for an entire city, your objective is very, very narrow. And in a long stream of the overall IT industry, it just doesn't work. Now, that said, if you completely disagree with me, I think you have a very valid point. Just like CyberGhost, longtime listener of the show, completely disagrees with me on this topic. And so he made a post on our subreddit. And the title of it is, Chris, I completely disagree with you. And a hundred other people which unfortunately my Zoom here has, uh, has cut it off, but a hundred other people, oh no, you can see it right there on the left hand, on the right hand side, a hundred other people, 96% of the subreddit agreed with CyberGhost that Noah and I are wrong on this topic. I hold my How? ground. I, I still continue to, I, I back what Noah said, I back what I just said, and I back what we said in episode 379. But if you disagree... I'm still taking input. I am, I am not, like, married to this position. I am willing, and I know Noah, too. He is willing to reconsider. Go over to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, uh, or we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to jump in here. And a uh, big thank you to CyberGhost, who is intimately aware and familiar with the Linux project. So it's not just him, like, assuming. Like, he's worked with it. He has on-the-ground knowledge. So he really, you know, has a very good perspective. And uh, he has, uh, he has uh, sort of tried to set us correct i still have it hasn't really changed my overall opinion of it but also 30 other people have commented on that particular topic no any other closing thoughts on that well just that uh you know looks familiar it said that uh, government has to that this is the speed of government and and i agree with that but you know what the funny thing is they don't have to work any harder or faster they just have to get out of the way and let the operating system they banked with do its job let the software that they banked with do its job right so they don't have to do uh, anything in the show notes, I have a, a presentation link. Let me see if I have the... Uh, uh, so, uh, here. Uh, I have it. I printed it out. Uh, um, I, have, uh, I have it linked in the show notes. I, uh, and uh, it's basically a very good, uh, very good talk uh, by somebody who's familiar with... The, who, by one of the system administrators who's worked on the Limux project. And he was at uh, DevCon. A couple of months ago, back uh, just like uh, what, a few weeks ago even. I linked it in the show notes. I watched the entire talk before this episode. I didn't pull any clips from it because the audio was so bad. Um, by the way, side note, if uh, you ever want to go on the record with your open source project and you want you want to go on the record, like literally you want us to say what, you want us to repeat what you have said word for word, all it takes is a decent microphone. I know that's really hard in 2015, but anyways, at DebConf, uh, they uh, Debcon. They had a. Uh, they had it. They had him there, and he talked about Limux. And I have the entire talk in the show notes. I listened to all of it. It doesn't change any of my position, but it just happened a couple of weeks ago. He talks about Limux, the challenges they have faced, and where they are going with the project. If you are at all interested in this, I have it linked in the show notes. I recommend you check it out. Um, yeah. So there you go. All right, moving on, Noah. Okay, hold on. Whoa! Did you print stuff out too? 
No, but I got a notepad just so I can do that. Really? Are you are you joking with yeah. me right now? Or no, I'm dead serious. I have like I have I have a I have a blank notebook here. Hold on. <laughs> I I have a blank notebook that just, is it has nothing on uh, it that I can just I can I can be part of the fun. Yeah. That's okay. that's all. All right. All right. All okay. Right. All right. I mean that I'm 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 a little judgy because uh, you're wasting paper, but okay. All right. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I can't help it. I'm in Washington and we're a little hippie over okay. here. Uh, all right. I'll write stuff down at this time. I want to talk about something we covered two weeks ago on Linux Unplugged, and today my mind is completely blown. I want to say right now, here on the show, F you in the <coughs> face, Cortana. Hey, Siri. Wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second. Let's make this official. Let's not even joke around. Oh, boy. You ready? Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Hey, Siri, go screw yourself. Who, me? <laughs> yes, you, Siri. Yeah, because Mycroft is coming along. Cortana can take a walk. Siri can take a walk. Mycroft, an open source artificial intelligence that's available for everyone. We're going to talk about this more in the show. It's coming up later in the show. But I am super, super excited about this because they have recurrently, it's a Kickstarter project with 550 backers. They have only 12 days left to go. And what they essentially want to do is get something similar to the functionality of the Amazon Echo, you know, Hey, Alexa, play the Linux Action Show. I just want—I just did that in case it works. Uh, and and <laughs> only, yeah, only bring it to open source, right? And so I want to play a little bit about this because I am crazy, crazy excited about this. And then later in the show, we're going to do a deep dive in the feedback segment because a friend of the show is actually the person responsible for developing the open source artificial intelligence intelligence for this. So it's called Mycroft. You can go over to Kickstarter right now. We have a link in the show notes. And you can find out more about it, and we're going to talk about it in just a little bit in the show. Sarah, it's time to wake up. The weather in Lawrence is 73 and sunny. It will be warm today with a 10% chance of rain. Mycroft, start some coffee, will you? Mycroft, connect to Alice's room. Alice, sweetie, it's time to wake up. Okay, so imagine that technology that's in that little hardware unit on your Linux desktop, and also imagine being able to pick the voice from a wide range of voices. We're going to talk about more, that, more about that in the feedback segment. I am very, very excited. Ryan's in the live chat room today. He joined us for Linux Unplugged, and uh, in the feedback segment, we're going to talk more about that. I wanted to move it there because it's been going on uh, for, uh, for a few weeks, so it's not exactly quote-unquote news but they are so, so, so close. Well, not actually. They're actually not that close. Uh, they, got, they, need a, they have a goal of $99,000, and they have $67,000. Mycroft is a hardware component, obviously, but I think the component is maybe even more interesting and has long-term huge, huge, huge competitive ramifications is the artificial intelligence. Now, there's a broad range of what defines artificial intelligence, but if you accept that Siri and Google Now and Cortana are a, a, at least an early version of 2015's artificial intelligence, then you could accept that Mycroft could also be that only open source and available on the Linux desktop. We're going to talk about more in the feedback segment, I'm very, very, very excited about this. But uh, I encourage you right now, if, you, if you're curious, if you'd like to maybe uh, throw in your support before we get to there, you could do it live uh, while we're doing this. You can just go over to uh, their website. They actually have a really cool, uh, they have like a mycroft.ai domain. How cool is that? I am super, super, super jelly of a .ai domain anytime anybody's got that. Uh, and uh, so you can check that out. Go over to uh, right now if you'd like to check it out. Go to mycroft.ai slash kickstarter. And if they get to 125000 then they're going to allow you to control your Linux desktop without the Minecraft hardware. 
It's going to just enable you so you could launch applications. You can control your media playback, which I love because my Linux rig is my main media playback machine at night. Change settings, all of that, just with your voice. And 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 on top of this, they've already been talking to the folks at Canonical to kind of make some of this happen. So uh, they've done some early demos with controlling the Unity desktop with the Mycroft AI voice commands. Sounds really, really cool. And, and one of the things that burns me is uh, I watched uh, Parallels came out for the Mac OS desktop, Noah. And uh, Parallels mm-hmm. is kind of like VMware Workstation, but it's, they focus really on the Mac. And um, one of the, their main competitive advantage to upgrade to the latest version of Parallels on your Macintosh computer is you can mm-hmm. have Cortana on your Mac. Cortana oh. on your Mac. And I'm just thinking, like, really, that's so sad and pathetic. So, and you know, Cortana, like, if we could have an open source version of that, that, you know, does local voice for listening and things like that, it's going to make Cortana look like a, a, a kid's version of a, of a, of a, of a, of a remote intelligence. So, mm-hmm. check it out. I think it's pretty cool. And you guys can find out more at uh, mycroft, M-Y-C-R-O-F-T dot A-I slash Kickstarter, because they're still in the early days. Hey, Noah. It's like you, the open, this is like the open source version of Jarvis. That's kind of what it strikes me as. Yeah. Yeah, or L cars with the computer interface. It's like having Majel. You know, they should have Majel Barrett's voice in there. And actually, I happen to know for a fact that Majel Barrett, before she died, recorded every iteration of every word possible. And you can actually assemble any sentence in Majel Barrett or, a.k.a. Majel <laughs> Roddenberry's voice. I, I know that for a fact. Hey, uh, Noah, guess what? The Linux Foundation wants to help you out... And they have posted a Linux security checklist. It's a set of recommendations used by the Linux foundations for their sysadmins and also for employees or remote workers of the Linux foundation. So in theory, Noah, what you and I are about to cover are the very requirements that Linus has to follow himself. So I thought maybe you and I could go through these Linux workstation security checklist items and figure out if these are maybe crap or really would make for a secure workstation. And I'm also curious if maybe you skip some of this stuff. All right, are you ready? Are you ready? I am. Because I know you deploy a lot of Ubuntu workstations. All right. So they, got a, they have a whole preamble about different security levels and choosing the right hardware. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over that. I want to start with Secure Boot. Because they have this under their considerations. And by the way, in the show notes, all of this up on GitHub. They say with Secure Boot, despite its controversial nature, Secure Boot, o- Secure Boot offers prevent- pre- prevention against many attacks targeting workstations. Uh, and also, special notes about FireWire and Thunderbolt and Express Card Ports. Now, no, I don't mean to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. but this is going to pretty much, on the record, we're going to determine if you're a Tech Talk Today viewer right now, okay. right here. All right. All right. Do you know I what could the, just answer that. Do you know what the risk is for having FireWire or Thunderbolt ports on your Linux rig? Uh, wait, I assume wait, wait. they could be... Exp- hold on, Noah. Hold on. Now, Noah. Hold on. This is a... Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We, got, we should add Holding. some... Let's add some... Let's add some suspension. So let's put some Mario okay. new, Mario uh, sound in the background. Now, Noah. All right. Okay. Do now you Chris. know... Noah, do you know the risk of having a okay. FireWire port or, Noah, right. a Thunderbolt right. port on your Linux rig? I assume they can be exploited. Well, yes, Noah, but do you know why? <laughs> uh, no, I don't know specifically. So you why. haven't been listening to Tech Talk today. Uh, I, I admit I have not been listening okay. to Tech Talk today. Actually, uh, it's 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 okay. what makes Thunderbolt and Firewire so great is actually their biggest biggest downside. They are, in a way, 
it's like having a PCI Express slot outside your computer. You can mm -hmm. just, when you plug something into Thunderbolt or Firewire, you're going directly on the PCI bus, and you get access mm -hmm. to the memory. You get, you get the fanciest form of local access available. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, it is, by its very nature, like plugging a PCI card into your motherboard, and anything those PCI cards can read on the PCI bus or the memory bus, mm -hmm. a Thunderbolt or FireWire device can read. So if you hook Physical up... Physical security is important. Hugely important, yeah. Thunderbolt mm -hmm. and ExpressCard are guilty also of this. It's not just FireWire. Uh, later implementations of Thunderbolt attempt to limit the scope of memory access, but it's best if you're getting none of these. So uh, keep that in mind. Also, the Linux Foundation recommends you get a system with a TPM chip. It's a crypto chip bundled with motherboards separately from the core processor, which can be used for additional platform security. So here is their checklist. They recommend, Noah, you have a UEFI system and not to use... Legacy BIOS, and they okay, they mark this as critical. They say this okay. is one of their most critical recommendations. Right. Why do so you disagree? No, Noah, Noah, and the Linux Foundation disagree. Why? Because, because I have in in ten years of working in IT, I have never had somebody compromise a machine because they had be, because of of the of the lack of security in the BIOS. On the other hand, I have two machines sitting in the shop right now at this very moment that are having trouble because of the whole secure boot UEFI oh, thing, and I can't just okay. install bot so, on the BIOS. Okay, all right, but you know what I have had? I have had users that have had the the laptop stolen out of their cars. Somebody broke into mm -hmm. their car and stole the laptop. And 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 was it, the hard drive encrypted? Well, but don't you think every point of every don't you I mean at that point, isn't it security in layers? You have the BIOS protected, have the hard drive protected, have the OS the accounts protected. Isn't it every single layer at that point, Noah? I guess I <laughs> this is uh this is uh this is putting myself out there a little bit, but I guess to be completely honest with you if somebody really wants to get access to something, it's it, 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 it's it's a matter of time and computing power, and so well. And if uh, they have physical, if they have a laptop, they could always just pull the battery or something, pull, or pull the hard drive out and stick it into a different machine. In which case, you're you're stuck back at the encryption part of it. I, I, I just, I mean, is it does it does it make theft a little less appealing if you can't just reinstall the operating system or put a new hard drive in it and reinstall or something like that? I suppose. Um, do I think that you're gaining a ton of security by having secure boot or by having UEFI, not really. I mean, they, on that exact machine, I suppose. But they also recommend. Again. They also recommend having uh, uh, Securebert. Yeah, Securebert. Securebert. Securebert, as I like mm -hmm. to call it, Secureboot mm -hmm. turned on. Uh, they also consider. They don't say this is critical, but they say consider SE Linux or AppArmor, something kind of along those lines. Uh, and and you know, they say distributions that do not provide any kind of mandatory access control mechanisms should be avoided. So anything that doesn't ship with SE Linux or App Armor should be avoided. I guess I like SE Linux. Here's another thing I disagree with. TPM chip, now that I think about it, that's also been a pain in my tuckus. Uh, the Chromebook, the, the the Pixel, has a TPM chip in, in it, and it was it was a remarkable pain to work around. In fact, it had this very nifty little problem that every other time I would put the laptop into suspend, the whole thing would restart. And by the way, because it's a Chromebook, if you hit the space bar accidentally... Uh, it erases, it, for all intents and purposes, it formats your hard drive, which that was real fun. All right, so here, I, I, we, we don't need to dwell on all of this, but they also recommend that you have an encrypted hard drive, and I think you'd probably agree I with agree. that. Yeah. Yes. And they also, they recommend maybe use Lux as the encryption technology. I, I, I'll say this much. If you want to encrypt your whole hard drive, great, more power to you. Yeah. I personally encrypt a specific partition where I keep my sensitive stuff on. Or thumb drive. 
or thumb drive. Yeah, yeah, in my case, it's thumb drive. But if only because it's just too much thinking work to reset, especially if you're switching computers a lot, to reset up the encryption over and yeah, over yeah, and yeah. over again. So, uh, but I agree with the, the sentiment of encrypting your data. Here's what they say. They say, use full disencryption with a robust fast passphrase. They mark this as critical. Make sure swap is encrypted. They mark this also as critical. Require a password to edit the bootloader. Critical. Set up a, robo- a robust root password. Critical. But here's the thing I'm not crazy comfortable with, but I'm actually on the fence with, so I want to debate this with you. They say it's important to use Lux, but yep. they suggest to use the same password to, uh, to, to, uh, to decrypt your Lux partitions as your root password. No. They're, rec- they're recommending to use your root password and your Lux password. Keep them the same. Keep it simple. What do you think about no, that? No, 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 no. What, uh, what possible justification would they have for that? Well, I, I think it's basically because if you have root on a box, then you're going to get the Lux encrypted partition anyway. Not, necess- not necessarily. All right, go I ahead. Gave you, I gave you, you know what? Last week, we were sitting in a hotel, yeah. and I handed you my laptop, and you said, uh, I need to do blah, 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 and I, for, I didn't have time to set up the whole pseudo thing, so I gave you my root password and said, here you go, Chris, you have root access to the box. But you didn't have access to my encrypted files. You're right. You're right. I didn't. I could only, uh, I, I could basically, what was it? I needed to install Mumble or something, like something, or Quasal. No, yeah. I, needed, I installed Quasal Client. Because, you, great point, Noah. You're right. I needed to install Quasal Client. I don't need access to your protected thumb drive. No. So let, let's, I mean, and, and again, let's, let's, uh, let's back up and explain something. So we have a triangle. And on one part of the triangle, we have security. On the other part, we have ease of use. And the other part, we have functionality. And where you put that dot, the more secure things are, the less ease of use and the less functionality you have. The more functionality you have, the less ease of use and less security you have. Right. And of course, the easier it is to use, the less functionality there is and the, the, the less security there is. And you have to try and center that dot as much as possible. But I don't. Th- I think you take away very, very minimally from the ease of use and the functionality to have two separate passwords, and I think you you exponentially increase security by having two different passwords for the root password yeah. and the encryption password. Yeah. And I see no real advantage to having them the same. Right. Even None if it's, even if it's just adding a slight disadvantage to the attacker, it's worth it. Add the date. Add the date. Add, right. add whatever the current date is, and then you got four extra numbers, so, and then that you know. All that said, all that said, I super respect the Linux Foundation for doing this, and it's a great, great, great start, and I'm really super happy they did this, and number two, I'm glad they did it on GitHub because we could all contribute to this, so the link is in the show notes. Let's work together as community members to make this list badass, so that way when sysadmins deploy Linux rigs, they have a very, very, very good list to go off of, and a couple of things on their checklist, their post-installation checklist that I like. Uh, globally disable firewall and Thunderbolt, uh, Thunderbolt module ports, bing. Uh, I also, I think, uh, configure LogWatch. They have this down lower in the list. I think LogWatch is a very, very straightforward package to install. 90% of any mainstream distribution has insanely easy-to-use defaults for LogWatch. So if you just install the package, it's going to basically do what you need, and it's going to give you a lot of info, and you can refine it from there. Also, there's not a lot of work to install something like Tripwire or another intrusion detection system or something like Fail to Ban. Anyways, it's a very, very, very good checklist. They also include, like, on your server, if you don't need Firewire or if you don't need Thunderbolt, here's the commands to just blacklist those kernel modules so that doesn't even mm-hmm. work at all. And it's a great list, and I say, as a Linux Action Show community, let's work together to make it even better. No, any thoughts, any closing thoughts on this one? Yeah, I just, I was just, somebody just poked their head in and, and, and reminded me, uh, earlier this week we had, there was a gal that was, uh, she was involved with the traffic collision, she was killed, and her dad brought her laptop in uh, just yesterday, 
and wanted us to recover some data off of it. And it was Windows 8, and it had Secure Boot, and it had UEFI. And the 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 uh, the software that we used to reset the Windows password, I couldn't get it to boot off, obviously, off mm-hmm. of the, the USB drive. Right. And we just pulled the hard drive out and pulled all the files off of it. Um, and so it's, it, I was just thinking, and guy poked his head in and said, hey, mention that, we just did this. Uh, it didn't stop us from getting any of the data. Uh, it would have had it been encrypted, but it wasn't. Um, and so I, I just I reiterate again, I, I don't think that there's a, I don't think there's a ton of added security by having UEFI or or uh, or secure boot enabled. Right. If you have physical access and you can pull the drive, if you have physical access, right? Yeah. And well, if you don't, then if you don't have physical access, then UEFI and secure boot are are a, a, a nil point. Mm. Good point, Noah. Good point. And you know what? That's from your real world. Ex- that's from this week. I mean, yeah. Good. Well said. All Yesterday, right. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Wow, that's a serious, geez, that's something to really think about. And, you know, I've always thought about it in the context of laptops, but, uh, you know, there's also physical intrusions at data centers and things like that. So there's different ways you can play with this. And really, when I look at all the different options, I, I could actually see an entire series of shows based on just different ways to physically protect your Linux box. Mm-hmm. That, that, could be a, that could be a really cool series. Something to think about. And I'd love to hear some suggestions. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Have you ever wanted to take something on your command line and share it with somebody else or collaborative work on it? Maybe you could take a command line application and make it a web app. We're going to tell you about GoTTY and how you can use it to have collaborative command line applications in just a moment. But first... I want to tell you about our segment sponsor, System76, creators of machines designed, created, born to run Ubuntu. System76 has desktops, laptops, and servers created to run Linux. The idea here is they have custom-selected or custom-built the hardware to make sure it's going to work perfect for you. Back over here, we have the Serval Workstation. This is a laptop that is designed to destroy a desktop. And I think for years, that's kind of been a claim that manufacturers have made. But in the last few months, maybe in the last six months, I think, it's actually really gotten true. Um, I've been, a, I've been a, a big desktop killer for a while. I've been trying that category with the Bonobo. And uh, for the last three years, I've been very, very happy. I think it's one of the best performing machines I have. But now, now with systems like the Serval Workstation, the power you get in this machine, which is thinner and lighter than my Bonobo, it's still a big machine, but it's thinner and lighter than my Bonobo, is absolutely unbelievable. And of course, System76 has desktops and servers, and those desktops are built right here in the US of A, including if you ever have to get them service. Go over to System76.com and do me a favor, tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. Here's the basic deal. If you'd want to give somebody a really good out-of-the-box Linux experience, or if maybe you want a really good out-of-the-box Linux experience, you got to go to System76. Because they've been doing this for years. And if you want to convince somebody to switch to Linux, have them try out System76. And let them know the Linux Action Show sent you. System76.com. You can stop buying with your hardware. And you get to play with your Linux. Thanks, System76, for sponsoring this segment. So uh, I want to talk about GoTTY. Noah, you do remote support probably maybe on a daily basis? Maybe on yes. a... How often? And what, what's your main well, team viewer? I actually, by the way, Noah, we've gotten this question, and what do you use to do remote desktop support with your clients? Um, so we use actually primarily a program called Screen Connect, and sc- the advantage of Screen Connect is that it, um, 
it runs inside of a web browser, so they just visit a website. Oh, nice! <clears throat> and uh, and on on a Windows, on a Windows client, it actually has a little executable that kicks off in in Linux that just uses a uh, Java file. Um, but then that way they don't have to actually install anything. And so I just tell people go to support.altaspeed.com, enter in the session ID, and then I have control of their computer. Now, when it comes to terminal stuff, though. I have to be very honest with you. I'm a little skeptical because right now I do everything over SSH, and that has I've never had a problem with doing that. Sure. Obviously, there are some collaborative uh, aspects of this, but I, I'm going into this a little skeptical. Yeah, I, I was too. I want to introduce you, uh, and I'm I I, I, I got to apologize. This you guys know me, but uh, this developer I really respect what he's been doing. Uh, his I'm going to say his name is uh, Iwasaki. Uh, you die. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've linked to his Twitter profile. This is um, one of sort of like the many unsung open source developers out there who are working on a lot of really awesome utilities that maybe only have 5,000 users or less, maybe even 2,000 users or less. But it's extremely innovative open source code built on very modern technologies that brings something extremely old, like the command line, to a completely modern environment. So uh, what uh, Iwasaki has done here has created basically Google Docs for your Linux terminal. Um, and he's, he's got a couple other projects that I really respect too that I'm going to talk about at the end of this segment. But I want to start by talking about GoTTY. Uh, you can share any terminal application as a web application. And uh, there's a lot of different ways you can get this set up. And one of the things I love about featuring this on the show is we don't have to spend a lot of time on the setup. Because if you want to, you can just go download the binary file and run it immediately. You could, there's also, like, it's, a, it's in the brew package manager. And there's other ways you can get it installed on your system. But if you take any particular command line application, you can make it a web app. So I, I was thinking about how cool this would be if you wanted to help somebody with remote support or maybe say you want to set something up you've never set up on a remote system, or you have a droplet and you want to get something configured. So uh, right now, uh, I have, uh, I've been kind of playing around with this. And uh, if you look at my machine right now, I, I can't pull it up. I, I don't have any, I, don't, I, I try to go to my machine, I don't have any web pages. But if I install GoTTY, I could pull up any command line application as a web page. And this is so much fun. I have to show it to you right now, Noah. So, um, <clears throat> I'm currently SSH'd into a, uh, a remote DigitalOcean droplet. And I could share, like, top with you. And I could share, um, you know, anything, LS, anything with you. But I wanted to actually, let's actually get some work done on a droplet, if you don't mind, Noah. Let's spend this yep. time uh, getting some work done. So here is my SSH terminal. And uh, I'm going to run this command. It's, uh, I've downloaded the GoTTY binary. You just download it from the GitHub page and extract the binary. And then you give it the address, and on this particular use case, it's jupiterstation.us, and you give it the port, which is dash P, and I'm going to use 8080 in quotes. And then I have a dash W, or TAC, as you call it, TAC W. TAC W stands for write. And, and, and of course, just like most, uh, most applications, if you do a dash dash help, let's see, if I do go TTY here, and I do dash dash help, I get all the different commands <clears throat> that you could, you could run here. So I'm doing dash W. And uh, one of the things you'll see is dash W is going to give Noah write permission, permit to write to my terminal session. By default, go TTY is read only. Obviously, that's way, way more safe. But because I actually need Noah to help me with something, I'm going to do dash W. And there's a bunch of other stuff. Like I, I, could, do, I could enable TLS if I want to make sure it's super secure. 
Uh, I can make sure they can reconnect after a certain amount of time if somebody loses connection. This is all available right on the command line. You just download the binary. It's an open source application. And so, Noah, because I need you to help me install this super cool, really nice IRC client for the command line, I'm yep. going to run the fish shell. This is my preferred terminal shell. I'm going to do, uh, and anybody watching can help us, so please don't screw with us. N- Noah, jump on this. Uh, okay. JupyterStation.us, port 8080, and I'm going to launch the fish shell. Okay. And uh, you and I are going to bring up my terminal here, and uh, let me pull this up here. So here's the web page, not available. I'm going to reload now. And uh, when I reload, you'll see I'm launching the terminal. And uh, yep. now, thankfully, uh, <laughs> I probably should have taken a snapshot of this drop before I did this, but I'm the only one that knows the pseudo password. So uh, are, you seeing my, uh, are you seeing my Europa terminal session right now? Like if I type I, ls, are you seeing that over there? And if I type top, are you seeing that right now? I am uh, I'm seeing your session. I don't – let's see if I refresh. Okay, now yeah. I'll go ahead and type. I, I can see your session. I don't know if I'm seeing you type. Okay, yeah. So you and you have a fish shell over there right now, right? Yeah. So if you type ls, what what files do you see on my system right now? I see uh, btsync, uh, gotty, and Linux underscore amd sixty four dot jizz. So there we go. So I have now shelled. I have now shared the fish shell with you. And what what are you using to view my shell right now? I am using Mozilla Firefox. And I'm on Chrome. So it doesn't matter if you're on Chrome or Firefox. We both have access to my terminal in right here in our web browsers. All I've had to do is run this Go program. And so I'm going to install uh, RSSI, which is Noah's uh, favorite, uh, uh, most beloved uh, terminal client. And I believe I'm, I'll do a package search here, Noah, and you can tell me if I'm getting the right one. But uh, I believe it's, it's, R-I, it's IRSSI, right? The uh, beloved mm-hmm. command line application. And I'll do a packer. And I'll do uh, install. And I'll go ahead and install this. And then, Noah, after I have this installed, would you do me the favor of actually configuring it to connect to the Jupyter Broadcasting IRC server? Yes, sir. doing that for me? Okay. Yes, sir. Very good. So it's pulling down the package right now. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead. It's installed now. If you could configure it for me. I've never launched RSSI. So I'll let you run over there. You configure it. Now you can't. Now you're not. You can't see what I'm typing, right? No, not at the moment. No. I. I uh, now I do have a very sneaky command line over here where I can see who's connected, but I just didn't want to show your information on the well, live stream. Here, here's here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it maybe what we should do is maybe you should also install Screen, and I will start IRSS, uh, IRSSI inside of a Screen session. That way you can resume it. You're jumping ahead. I was. Yeah. All right. But so what, go ahead. Reek. While you set up RSSI, will you walk people through what Screen does and how you could use it in combination with this? Because that's exactly what I was thinking too. Right. So essentially what screen does, if you're not familiar with it, is, is, is it allows you to disconnect um, from a running process, disconnect your computer from a running uh, a remote shell from a running process, and then jump back into that virtual uh, terminal. So for example, <clears throat> typically if I was to run IRSSI, if I was to configure it the way that Chris is asking me to do, I would run IRSSI, I would connect to the server, and as soon as I disconnect, or as soon as I close the terminal, all of that is going to be lost. Um, with screen, I can start a screen session. I can connect to the Jupyter Broadcasting server. I can specify a nickname. I, I I can do all of those things, and then I can simply disconnect myself from the screen session. But the screen session, along with IRSSI, will continue to run. Then Chris can absorb that session and see what I was previously seeing. So, for example, um, I could like say remote. So, if Noah was working on a machine and then he logged out, I could then SSH into that machine, resume his screen session, and pick up right, right where he left off. So, what's cool about what GoTTY does is it doesn't. You don't have to have anything but a browser to make it happen. So, imagine Noah and I are on the phone right now, or we're on Mumble, or we're on IRC, 
or you're in Reddit. I don't care. You're working with somebody trying to help them use Linux. And, and like, the idea of a noob of getting them to use SSH and getting them to use screen, that's not happening. If you could just send them a link and then they have access. And remember, read only or write access if you just want to show them something. That's where GoTTY is different than screen. But you can also combine the two for some pretty cool stuff. So uh, that is uh, that's sort of like a pro tip because I was I was going to suggest there's a couple of different ways you can take this GoTTY application and then kind of uh, and then kind of amp it up there. I was originally thinking for like um, also Noah is you could potentially use this for, to record some. If you go in and you watch what they do, you could kind of record the actions they take. That you can record the machines they connect from. It, there's a lot of stuff you can do now. I don't think that uh, Iwaski had all of that in mind when he created this application. He mostly was just trying to solve. Uh, making uh, a web app out of a command line application, but all right. Do you have uh, RSSI uh, set up for me? I I, uh, I can't do that until I'm in the screen session. I mean, I could, but I would lose oh, it once I close you, out of oh, RSSI. All right, right, all right, yeah. all right. Okay. Well, I guess all we would really do is show me connecting to the IRC, anyway. So that's fine. You guys probably get the idea. Uh, and so uh, we have uh, the links in the show notes to go find this. And it is I love it because it's just a simple binary to install. But he also is working on another application that I. If you're kind of if you're if you're following with us so far, you're probably going to also find this extremely extremely useful. It is a very straightforward way to get a session duplicator for Tmux. It's called SSHH, a simple helper tool which executes the same SSH command running at a specified window or pane on Tmux sessions. So you can quickly duplicate your current SSH session into a new pane or window without like having to tab through or go up through all your command history. And so, like, if you're doing a bunch of patches or something like that, this could be a very, very easy way to do a duplicates sessions in Tmux. And uh, we also have that linked in the show notes. Now, this is something that I, I actually love that console accomplishes also out of the box. And um, I think it's called Terminator is the one I've used under GNOME, where you can actually say, take the input from this one terminal and replicate it to all of my other connections. But uh, this is a bit of a tool to help you do it on a more automated basis. So it's called SSHH, a session duplicator for Tmux. Have you seen that one, Noah? Have you seen that one? I have not. This is new to me. What is your trick, then, if you have five servers that are all running the same version of Linux, you have to run the same exact command on? What's your trick? Uh... Usually that's site specific. So uh, you know, especially if there's you know if there's if there's a if there's a large number of servers, they're usually all at one site, and there's usually some sort of centrally managed thing that is in place before I get there. Um, I suppose I don't have one. I suppose if I was going to do something on five different servers, I would probably literally copy and paste a command five different times. Uh huh. Well, see, that's pathetic the, as that is, that's the very problem we're solving right here. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's other ways to to, to uh, particularly solve this problem, but I love both of these, and I thought. I, one of the reasons I want to talk about it is because I, I look at this and I think this is such a great example of how um, when we talk about open source, we don't really talk about the individual contributors who are making these small applications. And GoTTY currently has 4,809 followers on GitHub. Not like it's it's not it's not going to break like bandwidth. It's not it's not going to it's not going to produce the slash dot slash dig effect or whatever the hell you want to call it. But it's somebody who is every single day contributing something to open source that is making a few different administrators' job a hell of a lot easier. And it's something you don't see on the other platforms. And uh, he also works for Cloud Foundry, and he's done some, uh, some YouTube videos a couple of years ago. So if you guys are interested in what he's been up to, I have a link to his profile and his GitHub page in the show notes. Uh, no, I know TeamViewer is, uh, is something you use. And what else did you recommend that you use? 
Screen Connect. Uh, Screen Connect is is some software that <clears throat> is not only highly customizable, but it also it, or is not only very very useful, but it's also highly customizable. So, for example, if you go to uh, uh, if you go to our support site, we actually brand everything uh, to the point that you actually can't tell that it is actually Screen Connect. That's if you go to support.altaspeed.com, you will see that it doesn't actually say anywhere that it is Screen mm, Connect. Everything cool. just says AltaSpeed Remote Support. Um, and what it allows us to do is it allows us to connect with clients uh, via their web browser rather than yeah. having to kick off, uh, install some special software. And I, I, I support TeamViewer. I like TeamViewer. I've used TeamViewer for my, the personal side. Um, I've never paid for it commercially, and, and so we don't really use it for uh, in a business sense. But it's a great piece of software, and, I, and I, I, I highly support it. The thing I like about Screen Connect is, again, doesn't require anyone to install anything. True, true. Also, I always have to man. I have I don't have a lot of experience with it, but I gotta give a plug for Guacamole. It's an HTML5 uh, clientless remote desktop gateway. So if you have a bunch of machines behind a firewall and you just have like tight VNC or whatever VNC installed on those machines, or they have RDP or whatever the hell, uh, what Guacamole is is a proxy that allows you to have a front-end machine, all HTML5, clientless, to connect to those machines behind the firewall. So if you have a bunch of VNC systems or something like that that you want to get remote access to, but you don't want to expose each individual machine to the internet and have a port forwarding, you just have to expose the guacamole machine, and then it handles the proxying between those machines behind the firewall and you on the internet. So these are solutions more tailored to solving remote desktop solutions, whereas GoTTY is a solution that would work on a headless Linux system that you're remoted into. So that's pretty nice. That's one of the nice features about GoTTY. No X, no GUI desktop required. Just right from the command line, you can download the binary and share the session. And trust me, that's probably going to become extremely useful. If you, if you have something, you need to get somebody to help you work on it. You can have them get on there, get in a web browser, install the package or set up the package or edit the comp file or whatever it is right from their web browser. No SSH needed. It's extremely useful, especially if you combine it with like a VPS so you don't have to manage firewall stuff. It's really cool. You can find links to everything we talked about, GoTTY, SSHH, and more in the show notes. Just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and look for episode 380 of the Linux Action Show. But Noah, that's the Linux Action Show's look at a remote console interface. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. We actually have quite a bit to follow up on and get to in this week's feedback segment. I want to start with something that comes right out of our community. I think he's here with us today. His name is Ryan, and he's one of the developers behind the open source engine that's powering the Mycroft project. And they actually reached out to us today and said, hey, guys, we'd love it if you could spread the word about this. Mycroft is an open source artificial intelligence for everyone. It's like... All of the best things about uh, Amazon's Echo, but also open source in one unit. And they're doing a Kickstarter. We talked about them in the news segment. And uh, I want to play a little bit about the, uh, the AI because today they're announcing a couple of interesting things. Number one, if they reach their stretch goal, they're just going to bring the voice-activated AI to Linux desktop in general. No hardware required. Go screw yourself, Cortana. And then number two is they're working out on uh, getting the voice for this system, and there's more information about that. But first, let's start with a little basics about Mycroft. Introducing Mycroft, the first open source artificial intelligence for your whole home. It connects to your Wi-Fi, and is so affordable that you can have one in each room, from the kitchen to the living room, bedroom, and even one in the garage. Mycroft listens for his name. So anytime you want to play music, lock a door, check the weather, or talk to another room, simply say Mycroft. 
Mycroft is an open source, open hardware product based on the Raspberry Pi 2, which means anyone can contribute new features, develop modules, change or even redistribute Mycroft software. Missing a key feature? Just develop your own solution and contribute it back to the Mycroft community. And since Mycroft is based on Raspberry Pi, one of the most popular open hardware platforms in the world, there are already thousands of well-documented ways to extend and improve Mycroft's hardware. Upon delivery, Mycroft will have 20 great modules and more features will be coming online over time. And because it's open source, anyone with an idea can develop and share new modules with the Mycroft community. That's why we're here today. We've assembled a great team of engineers, designers, and business professionals who are experienced and qualified, but only you can help us bring Mycroft to life. Your pledge of support will prove there is a ready market for an open source AI. And I want to talk about this for a little bit because one of the things that really burns me as a longtime Linux user is when new technologies get developed, specifically right now, virtual reality and this sort of artificial assistance technology, it always happens in the private proprietary space. And Linux and open source is always caught playing catch up. And I feel like Mycroft is actually coming along at a, at a time where the playing field is pretty damn level. And open source has a real chance to actually innovate here. And that is what makes me particularly excited about Mycroft, is that we can get in right now and actually make something that contributes to this space and even potentially get it on the Linux desktop, mycroft.ai slash Kickstarter. This is what I love, is they have a stretch goal. If they reach $125,000, you can control your Linux desktop with Mycroft. This will enable you to launch applications, control media, and change settings just with your voice. Also, something kind of neat that they're doing with the Mycroft hardware is they're basing it on Ubuntu Snappy. So we've talked a lot about Snappy Core on uh, Linux Unplugged, and uh, now they are you can see a real use case to actually integrate it. And the idea that uh, you know a community member could make an app for a Mycroft machine for Jupyter Broadcasting, so that way you could listen to Jupyter Broadcasting content on demand. Mycroft, play the latest episode of the Linux Action Show. That's super, super, super cool. And be able to get in at this level is really neat. And uh, they're also asking the community to help them come up with the name. And this is actually exclusive. We're, we're, they haven't made this public yet. We have a little bit of behind-the-scenes information. Is They want to take the Mycroft voice and take it up to the next level, and they're looking for your suggestions. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And they're looking for different ideas. They shut down the main net. They'll be destroyed for sure. And they have some suggestions of your favorite robot voices from maybe pre previous movies, or maybe even not robots. There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Michael, what do you think of a stunt where I could somersault and over end? It's never been done before. Or better still, how about a flaming chariot? We could set my wheels on fire and do a jump. At night, it could be quite spectacular, don't you think? <laughs> I love it. And I don't know. I mean, I just, the idea of, uh, you know, Microsoft is uh, touting Cortana. Apple has Siri. Google has Google Now. And I even see Cortana actually selling box copies of Windows 10. And this is... Uh, an open source solution top to end. And in fact, we've even had the pleasure of discussing how the open source artificial intelligence is being developed with one of the developers, Ryan, on Linux Unplugged. Noah, tell me, come on now, if you could buy this or Amazon Alexa, you'd totally go for this, wouldn't you? 
Absolutely. I, I would go with, you know what? I have zero interest in most of that AI stuff, partly because I, A, never know if it's going to work with Linux, B, because I never think it's actually going to work well, and C, because I never know what the longevity of it is, you know, with a lot of this stuff. With uh, with Mycroft, I all three of those concerns are invalidated because I know what the longevity is. If if the if the current developers or somebody else can't, uh, is, it, whoever's developing it now or whoever's maintaining it now, if they can't do it, somebody else can step up. I don't have to worry about if it's going to work with Linux because if it's open source, even if it didn't work with Linux out of the box, somebody could make it work with Linux. Um, hmm. So and and, and so uh, and so yeah, I would point. be all over something like this. And and the fact is, like, I feel sometimes like we have envisioned the future numerous times through television shows and movies, and we never quite hit the future. And this feels like what we need to make 2015, 2015. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It also, what I love about it is it's open source. It is Linux right here, right now, and it's like. It's not completely there yet. Like, we have to get involved. We have to show that it actually matters. But I feel like it does matter. Uh, and so I, I think this is – and I also love that they're even asking, like, at the beginning, like, how do you – what do you even want it to sound like? Like, what do you – like, could you imagine, like, it could sound – like, we could have input even on that aspect. Uh, I bet you you could tweet them, hashtag voice of Mycroft or something like that. They're looking for, they're looking for input. That's what I love about them is they're listening to the community. It's pretty cool. I, and also I love their domain, mycroft.ai. And if you want to back the project – which I have, I'm like totally in on, on this, mycroft.ai slash Kickstarter. And they also have some that they think will connect directly up to the TV. So like if you want it to be like your media center as well, Mycroft, play the, Linux, the latest episode of Linux Action Show, and then it's hooked up via HDMI, it'll happen. Mycroft.ai slash Kickstarter. I'm really, really glad they're doing this. I hope they make it... Um, it's not a sure bet, actually, at this point, I wouldn't say. And so I would encourage folks to check it out. If we just want to even be competitive in this and, and don't want open source to look like it's always copying, but maybe actually show how it can lead, they have 553 backers. They have a goal of $99,000, and they've raised $68,000 with 12 days left to go. Mycroft.ai slash Kickstarter. Good luck, guys, and good luck, Ryan. Thank you for uh, contacting us. Best of luck of everything. I have a big project I'm working on, too. It's not quite as uh, epic as theirs. I kind of feel like a schlum to even bring it up. But I'm really excited to announce that uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting second studio is in the works. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The second studio, JB2, JB Mobile, whatever the hell we're going to call it, I don't know yet. Uh, I got myself a trailer RV for an amazing deal. And actually, Noah, I really should say on air... A big thank you to you. You are a huge resource in finding a good deal and, and in working through it and making sure it wasn't a lemon and things like that. So thank you, Noah, first of all. Nope, no problem. And uh, we did this during LinuxCon. We went out and found the right rig. It's something I've been thinking about for a long time. People who've listened live know I've literally been talking about it for two, three years now, maybe even more since before we, before we moved into the JB1 actual physical studio, I've wanted to go on the road and do a show. And uh, so I found a great deal. Uh, unfortunately, a, a nice couple who had a medical issue come up, they could no longer could uh, hold on to the trailer, and they were willing to part with it for a great price. I picked it up from them, and Noah and I are going to convert that into a mobile broadcast studio. And the current tentative plan, depending on how everything works out, is September 19th, a Saturday. I'm going to load up and head towards Noah's house to do a last Cribs edition to document 
his automated home, just like we talked about a long time ago. We're actually going to make it happen. I'm going to get on the road. We're going to go. And I hope to meet up with people along the way on US 2. This will be the first road trip. And if it works out well, I'll do many more after this. I hope to do many, many more after this if it works out well. And broadcast along the way, continue to do the shows, and, and continue this experiment that we've been doing for the last few weeks. All of this has actually been part of a bigger picture. Uh, as part of the 10th anniversary or potion for the Linux Action Show, simply put, I need to change things up. Uh, if you want me to keep doing this show, I need to at least make it a little different. I've been doing the same thing for 10 years. Um, and I'm ready to change it up, and I'm ready for new challenges, and part of that is going on the road, meeting you in person, finding new stories, finding Linux in the real world, and also solving the challenges of broadcasting from the road, giving me something that isn't solving like a Mac crashing or Linux not working with an audio device that is just tedious and pisses me off, but actually solving connectivity issues and, and mechanical issues and, and a whole new element to my job that I've, I have never had to struggle with before and one that I completely intend to turn into content uh, for our patrons over at patreon.com slash today. If something blows up, if the truck dies, as long as I'm not dead, I will attempt to document things that work and don't work for our patrons and for the audience at large and roll it into content, do the shows from the road, and hopefully maybe meet a few lugs along the way. So I'm really, really, really excited about this, and uh, it's in the works right now. September 19th is the tentative launch date. Then, uh, you know, roughly seven or so days after that, I'm going to show up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, depending on if the truck blows up or if I spend a couple of days in a town somewhere. And then we're going to do a live show from Noah's house. And uh, air all his dirty laundry about how Windows is running his entire house. Expose him for a Max. complete Linux fraud. Max oh, are running Max. my whole house. Right. Max. Yeah. Right. Right. Max. A mixture of Macs and, okay. and Windows. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. And then, and then get back on the road and come back. And uh, I'm super, super excited. It's all, it's all been, it's one of these things that's been behind the scenes in development for many, many, many months. And now I'm able to present it to you as it is right now, and it's coming soon. I need your ideas to what to name the road trip. Patreon.com slash today. I've opened up to our patrons. I'd love to hear your ideas on what we should name the show. I've given some behind the scenes information there. And also, um, I have to be fairly humble in my approach to this because uh, we don't have a large operating budget to make sort of the basic off-the-ground essentials happen. And so I'm, I'm opening up a wish list. I don't normally do this. Last time I did this one was when we had a big drive failure. Uh, but, but the reality is, is I, I do not have any expendable income doing this job. And so I would absolutely love your support. I have made a wish list. I've linked it in the show notes of items, some more critical, less critical that I identified that would be that'd be good for the road trip. And some of them are things like a surge protector for the unit so we don't blow out the wiring if I have to plug in somewhere. Some of them are water filters. And some of them are hoses so I can empty the crap from the tanks in the RV and gloves so I don't have to get poop on my hands. I mean, there's a wide range of things in the wish list. It's in the feedback segment. And uh, if you are at all motivated in helping me accomplish this you can go there, or even your support on the subreddit, patreon.com, or on the subreddit, uh, that's, that's automatic. Even your support on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash today would be greatly appreciated. And uh, let's name this thing, let's make it happen, and we'll do Linux Action Show from the road, Noah. I'm crazy excited. Just saying, I'm crazy excited. So You should be. I, th I think it's going to be a good time. I think that, I think that, uh, I think that, 
I, I don't think you can. I don't think you're properly conveying to everyone how truly excited you are. Like if if you could see the passion that 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 kind of lights up with the the concept of doing the show on the road and and meeting people and getting out there. I mean, I think all you talked about the entire time we we're at LinuxCon was, you know, the, we we have 45 minutes down to Seattle and then 45 minutes back. And the entire time he's going, man, wouldn't this be cool if we could take this? If we could do more than just LinuxCon? If we could go on the road and and tell all the cool little stories of, mm-hmm. of all the people along mm-hmm. the way and explore the country. And, and you know and, what's and funny if, is I actually don't like – somebody said in the subreddit, well, Chris likes to travel. <laughs> I hate traveling actually in a way. Like I, I don't like flying. I don't like TSA. I don't like security theater. I don't like any of that. But the in-between, all of the nuance, all of the small things, all of the meeting people and capturing stories and capturing moments and experiencing, that – I enjoy, and I'm super excited about that. So, uh, and I just think it could make the shows feel more lively and challenging. And uh, worst case scenario is Noah has a pretty slick setup at his studio, and so we could just reverse the setup, and I would be remoting into Noah's studio, and I could probably get away with pretty minimal bandwidth requirements. I'm not sure, though. And so in that wish list, I have things like a 4G signal booster that boosts basically the entire LTE spectrum for all carriers. And so I might just bring, like, a Ting GSM, a Ting CDMA, and a Verizon CDMA, and then I'm pretty well covered at that point. And another thing in that wish list, I think, although I'm not sure if it's actually made in that wish list, is uh, Wi-Fi boosters and things like that. Because I think signal is going to be my big, big, big challenge. I think, like, as far as cooking goes and finding places to sleep, that I can manage. Signal, though, there's little I can do about that. And the more support I get, I would really appreciate that. So I'm really excited. Also, hey, Noah, uh, you had a chance to play with the Serval workstation during our LinuxCon coverage post-review. And I had a, a quick follow-up. It turns out, in our review, like the number one thing I dinged that for was uh, they, I felt like they were strapping an extremely powerful system with a spinning Rust hard drive that just couldn't supply the data fast enough to the bust CPU yes. memory. Yes. Default config of this machine is actually to ship it with an SSD. We happened to get the unlucky card, and they had a previous test unit with somebody else had used it. And for that test, they had put a spinning rust drive in there, and so it was a disk. And so that's what we got in our test unit. But in a default stock unit, it would actually ship with an SSD. So they actually... That's good. Although I will say this much, though, uh, you know... (laughs) <laughs> because I don't have a brain anytime we're doing conference stuff, we forgot all of our stuff at the hotel, actually, on one of the nights. And so I ended up getting back to the studio and realizing I didn't have my laptop. So I commandeered the, the servo for, for a night. And even with a spinning disk, it was actually, like, once everything got cached and I kind of got used to it, it was still an amazing experience. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, not as yeah. much as it would have been with the salt That's state, actually, sure, exactly, that's a, that was actually, that's actually, I was going to say this, if you didn't say this, it, like, it's kind of funny, like, you do notice, like, once stuff caches up, it does pick up performance after a little bit. Uh, but I, if I was going to get the servo workstation, I would get it with an SSD, and the fact that it comes default with an SSD means you don't have to worry about it. And that was, we covered that two weeks ago, and I just wanted to follow up on that, that our, our machine was unique in that regard. Hey, uh, Corey writes in with an email. He's switching his mom to Linux. He says, hey, guys, I'm trying to get my mom to switch to Linux, and she keeps telling me she can't use it for her work. She's an undertaker, and I see a lot of Linux replacements for her apps. She uses mainly the Office Suite and her all-in-one printer. Uh, We have a Windows 10 machine, and it's just driving me crazy. Any help would be appreciated. Noah, what do you think for somebody who's got a couple of custom apps in Office... 
Yeah. So uh, first of all, Microsoft Office is actually it does work inside of Linux. You can. I mean, there's a couple of different ways to, to to skin that cat. You can. You could use it inside of Wine or inside of the inside of the you know a Wine layer. You could have obviously sure. run it inside of something like VirtualBox. And but I would really, say if you're going to run inside a Wine layer uh, and you're willing to spend forty bucks, it's totally absolutely. worth getting crossover Office. Yes. Yes. Crossover has crossover was one of those things that initially made the switch to Linux possible. And yes, there it's very much worth every dime you spend on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but these days, actually, you can get away with just using Office 365, which will run right in the web browser. Um, honestly, it, depending on what depending on what uh, what she's doing, it might actually, a lot of times I see the hang-up is they just don't want to learn uh, LibreOffice. And so you ask them what's wrong, they say, well, this keyboard shortcut is different, or that one is different. Sometimes it makes more sense just to get on board and say, just, you know, learn how to use LibreOffice and then you'll solve that problem once but you'll never solve it again. If you continue down the Microsoft Office path, you're, every time a new update comes out, every time a new distro comes out you've got to resolve how to get that software working. So it wouldn't be my first recommendation but it, it's it, you know, if you have to do it, you have to do it. Yeah. Um, as far as your all-in-one printers, HP tends to be really good if, you, if, you, if you're looking for a good recommendation for a printer. They actually have open sourced uh, their printer driver so and it's actually included in a lot of repos. So the HP LAP driver, uh, you just basically install that and plug the printer, and then it it will work. Ah, uh, very good. Hey, you want to take uh, Yuan M's yeah. email here? So we'll take Juan M, and Juan M writes in, and he says, I recently purchased an Ultrabook, as you well knew, and would like to know if there are any distros that are optimized for Ultrabooks with solid-state drives. I know that Ubuntu would detect Samsung solid-state and optimize for it. I have an M.2 SSD in my Ultrabook, and would like to know if there is one that is optimized, and if not, where I can find more information on how to optimize it. P.S. Hopefully you'll help me with my other question about a USB dock that I can use in an Ultrabook that works on Linux. So uh, I'll answer it backwards, or at least I'll take the first part. Uh, the, the second part, maybe you can answer the first part, Chris, because I know you've had some experience with actually optimizing uh, computers for uh, solid-state drives. I know mm-hmm. that was a big thing when they first came out. But as far as docs, I use docs up the wazoo. I have my my main quote-unquote work laptop is a is a is a Dell uh, E series Latitude, and I have a dock that sits in my in my office. And so when I get into my office in the morning, I set my laptop down. My printer is connected. My mouse is connected. My keyboard is connected. My sound is connected. My two displays are connected. Uh, power is connected. Everything is connected to that dock, and all I do is set my laptop down. I use it if I go out on a service call, I obviously I take it with me. And then when I get home, I have another dock that sits at my house and that's connected into my six monitor setup with a separate keyboard and a separate mouse. So I really, really, really like docks. I think they're a great solution. I haven't found a USB one that works natively with Linux. Um, there was a Targus one that, that obviously the USB hub worked and the sound card worked and, uh, uh, and there was there was one other thing that worked, but the big thing that I could never get to work was the video. Um, the you know the second video port on on the dock itself didn't work, um, and so unfortunately I don't have a real answer. I do think it's a shame that with the slimification of notebooks that we have lost the dock connector. I think that's too bad because I really liked it, but there is hope with USB-C. Um, it, 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 would, it would appear that USB-C has, the, has at least the potential to bring back all the functionality we would want in a dock with a mm. single connector. Yeah, so yeah good point. That's what, I would, that's what I would do. I would hold out, and, uh, and if you haven't picked one up, wait for one with USB-C, and if you have, maybe the next time around. Okay. All right, and our very last email comes in. Hi, Chris and Noah. As user trying to migrate completely to Linux, there is something driving me nuts burning, quote-unquote, the ISO of a new distribution. I can't find a method that works on every distro, and I try and always end up just having to do it 
on my frickin' Mac using the terminal and DD command. I don't really like UNet bootin', and not every distro comes with software to do it, and when they do, it doesn't always seem to work. How do you guys do it? I'm using, am I using the DD command the wrong way? I seem to follow Ubuntu's instructions for the Mac, and they seem to always work, but Linux, I just can't seem to get them to boot. Thanks, and keep up with the show. Now, I, I like the recommendation from our buddy Wimpy over on the Ubuntu Mate project, and uh, he has a couple of things that I think uh, are really slick that every single distribution should do. First of all, when you go to his download page, he's got all his different versions right there available, current stable versions, unstable versions, uh, torrents, direct downloads, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Also, in the middle of the page, he's got some tips, rightly deserved, right there. And here's the other thing he's got that I absolutely love is he shows you with one command line how to actually write this to a thumb drive. And what I love about this is he's using DD Rescue. And the good thing about DD Rescue, we've talked about it before on the show, is it gives you output on the transfer rates. So instead of just looking at a blank command line when you run DD and not knowing what it's doing, DD Rescue actually is giving you stats so you know it's working. And he shows you that you should run it as root, so that way you have access to the de proper device. He shows you how to, what the command, how to put the ISO in there, and how to point it at the right device. And essentially, you don't have to use Ubuntu Mate. Any ISO image basically works. Any general Linux ISO image you download, you can take this command, replace the Ubuntu Mate uh, file name in there with your uh, ISO file name, and it's good to go. You just have to replace the device with your device, and when you plug in the device, do like a quick D message and see what device it's at and you're good to go. This is a really, really, really straightforward way to go. If you want a GUI, and I don't know if I actually have it installed on the Bonobes at present, so let me double check here. Uh, but SUSE, yeah, here it is right here. SUSE makes a really nice utility called the SUSE Studio Image Writer, and it's available in the Arch repo and available for a lot of other distributions. And guess what? It is a graphical environment, and all you have to do is just drag the ISO image into that application. You select your USB device that would show up here in the drop-down list if you had a USB device plugged in, and you click the right button, and you have yourself a graphical interface for essentially accomplishing the same task. That's SUS Studio Image Writer. Noah, any tips? So, yeah, here would be my suggestion. Uh, the built-in disk utility um, in, in Ubuntu or in GNOME, I think the technical package name is Palimpsest. They might have renamed that to disk-utility, but if you open up the disk utility and you click on, on your thumb drive, up at the very top right-hand yeah. corner, you see the little cog. You click on that, and there's a restore disk image. And if you click on that, you can actually choose the ISO, and it will write the ISO to that to that particular drive. And I, I have, I've used it once or twice to see if it works personally. I've gotten to the point, after so many years of doing it with DD, I can't even stop myself. As soon as the thumb drive plugs in, I've already got a terminal open. I'm halfway through the DD command. So I don't really think about it much, but if, if you wanted a graphical easy way to do it, um, especially from Linux, that's I guess that's what I would suggest. Mm. If you didn't want to install their software anyway. <laughs> Looks familiar. says definitely read the manual before you start using <laughs> DD. Uh, not yeah, bad. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Noah, uh, if people want to find you throughout the week, where would they go to look you up, contact you? You you could go to altaspeed.com. That's the that's my company website, my quote-unquote day job, where I make a quote-unquote living. Um, I'm trying to get more and more active on Twitter, so you can follow me there, at Kernel Linux, and, of course, you're at uh, Chris LAS. And, uh, and I'm on Google Plus and Facebook all of which can be found in the show notes. Powerful. You can follow me, twitter.com slash chrislas. Find the network. 
twitter.com slash jupitersignal. Join us live. We're doing this show on Fridays for a little while, probably at least uh, for the remainder of uh, the bit until the end of the road trip, and then we'll see how it fits. You can get all of our live shows as they move around at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and always join us at jblive.tv. And last but not least, if there was something that you thought we should have talked about or maybe had a different opinion on or just wanted to put something in front of our faces, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That's the best place. Also, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact for emails that you want to send in to us. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. You know, in, in a lot of ways, the audio format test and uh, moving to Fridays are all kind of in preparation for me going on the road. Like, um, I don't always make it obvious when I make the change initially because I the change deserves the change on its own merits. Um, personally, I think somebody, after working 9, 10 years on a show, probably deserves having a weekend. Regardless if that person is me or somebody else, I would want to give yep. them a weekend. So that's enough reason to move the show to Friday on its own. I don't feel like I need to justify it because of a road trip. But a lot of things, like the audio format test and mm-hmm. and moving to Fridays, are are encouraged because they do accommodate a road trip. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and the idea is that we just try these things for a while and we'll see where it goes, and 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 maybe post road trip we decide things don't work out, and maybe maybe post road trip we decide that things have settled down a bit, and actually it works a lot better. And uh, that's sort of always been there, there has been a longer term vision at play here, and um, this isn't all just sporadic and random. This is all part of an overall plan that I have had for a very long time that is unrolling in a very organic way to the audience. Does that make sense, Noah? You have a plan? I know, it doesn't seem like it, right? Especially for somebody who hates making plans. I know. I do big both. picture planning. I don't do small picture planning. Who has the time well, that's, for that? That's right. So in other words, what you say is you're very goal-oriented. Yeah, you know, it's almost like you know I'm strategic say- and I actually have the ability to think ahead. It's funny. You know, you know what they say, right? <laughs> 80% of entrepreneurs that are goal-oriented are successful. Oh, well, good, good. Then yeah. I have a fighting chance. Oh, man, I think the thing I'm the most worried about is connectivity. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I wouldn't be overly worried about it. I've gotten to a lot of places, and I've always had pretty decent internet. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I guess I haven't been in the middle of Montana. That's the thing. Is like, How much <laughs> on US2 have you been like between Idaho and Grand Forks? That's yeah. where I'm really worried about it. It's like, yeah. I think in Washington and most of Idaho, I'm going to be pretty solid. But I think once I get out of Idaho and then get into Montana and get through Glacier National Park, I think I'm going to be really hit and miss on connectivity. I'm pretty worried yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, the good news is, if you miss the show, at least you have a really solid excuse. Well, uh, no. I, I gonna, couldn't connect to the internet. I was going to say you are my backup, but that's fine. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, you decided to take me up on that? That would be fantastic. Well, I That'd have to. I, have, I mean, good. that's kind of, oh, wonderful. You're kind of the crux, okay. of, the, they're kind of, the crux you know, of the whole plan. <clears throat> actually, Chris, now that I think about this, I think uh, bringing uh, a bunch of mobile ba- hotspot backups, probably, that's not necessary. I just, I would grab the AT&T one and call it good. I'm going to have... Uh, <laughs>